Hello, everybody, and welcome to Everybody is a Somebody, a podcast where we listen to the stories of others. I'm Joey, and I am joined by one of the most charismatic men I know, Andrew. How you doing, Andrew? Hey, man. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you for the uh, really kind compliment. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's 100% true. Um, Andrew's brought a story for us today. I have not heard it yet, so I don't know what it's about. But uh, before we get into that, uh, do you want to tell us like a little about yourself? Where are you from? What do you do? Uh, yeah, so I am from the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, currently, I work in entertainment merchandising. Before that, I was the tour manager for a band. Um, I was a figure skater in a past life, a hockey player <laughs> in a current life. I don't know, man. I've, do- I've done a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, no, you have lived a very, very interesting life. That's why I was really excited um, when you said you'd be on, because you, you do... You've told me some pretty interesting stories and just the life you live is very, uh, very different from mine. So I find it very interesting. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm really excited. I got, I got one in the chamber ready to go. Um, and, uh, I think, I think it's pretty fun and funny and, uh, interesting. So. Yeah, that's great, man. Uh, yeah, let, let's, uh, just go ahead and dive right into it then. Take it away. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so what I'm going to tell you is the story of my first trip to Tickaboo Peak. Um, so back to why I mentioned I was a figure skater at one point is because um, I've done this road trip for a decade now from where we all live in the suburbs of Chicago out to visit uh, another friend uh, who also grew up skating. So myself, my friend Kevin, uh, and my friend Osad all drive out to LA where our friend Maverick moved to when he was maybe 18 to escape professionally as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second year that we decided to do this trip, you know, when you drive across the country, um, especially through the Western States where there's a lot of nothing, uh, surprisingly through Utah, through Nevada and earlier parts of California, there's, there's really just mountains and desert, um, And it's pretty incredible. And we had talked about on the first year when we drove through, like how cool would it be to explore some of this like almost untouched land. Um, And once we came back from the year one trip, uh, my friend Kevin started doing a lot of research about different places that would be able to explore uh, if we really wanted to. And Found a couple of old military testing crash sites uh, along the uh, highways in Nevada and then ran into one that he told us about. It was called Tickaboo Peak. And he said, okay, this one we absolutely have to do. It is the closest legal summit that you can be to Area 51. The other two summits that were nearby... Uh, got closed down by the government for public access. Uh, And this one is basically untouched. Uh, So that's pretty much the only place you can go where like you can see it if you really, if you really work for it. And so Osad and I were both very uh, interested, but also a little like uh, skeptical about, you know, how easy it would be to do. And Kevin was like, no, no, it's fine. I've been reading up about it forever. 
Uh, uh, a few things like on message boards, people are saying like, yeah, I did it in like normal shoes. It took me about an hour to get up there. Uh, it was really cool. You could see forever uh, and out into the desert and you can see Area 51. And he said, it was fine. You can drive all the way to the like base where you start the hike. He's like, it's cool. We can do this. If we just like rented a car for that part so we didn't mess up our own car, that would be all we needed. So we decided we were going to go, we were going to hike, and then we were going to camp at the peak overnight. And so year two of the road trip, we're all excited. We've got all this gear, like hiking backpacks and stuff, and we're driving out. We get to Las Vegas. We stay there for a night just so that we can get sleep in a bed. And uh, next morning, we wake up early, get the rental car, pack all of the hiking stuff we had brought in there, and head about two, two hours outside of Las Vegas uh, is basically where this starts. And by the time we get to where the like entrance road is to where you start the journey everything is unmarked so we basically have to go off of photos uh, that kevin had found online to reference (laughs) like okay this is the right like dirt road to enter on yeah so we get on this dirt road and he said once you're on the dirt road you just follow it and then it ends at the base so we said, okay, that's fine. He didn't print out a map or anything, of course, because he said it's it's just a road. You don't need a map. Yeah. And uh, we definitely needed a map. Yeah. About <laughs> 15 minutes into the, into the drive down that dirt road, there's a fork. And Kevin goes, okay, well judging by my estimates of like what the mountain looks like from ground level, I'd say we go right at the fork. Cause that looks like the peak. Let me, let me take a le- Let me take a guess. You should have took a left. We definitely should have taken a left. <laughs> uh, so here's where, I mean, the, the trouble had already begun. Here's where it escalates. Okay. We're driving for about, I don't know, five minutes on the right half of the fork gets a little rocky and the path gets a uh, little bit tighter. We're in this rental Kia like SUV, like the mid-sized Kia SUV, and it gets stuck. Oh god! The road is all loose rock, and there's a bunch of larger rocks. And so Osad starts to have a panic attack. Kevin's trying to figure out, like, we can't put it in reverse this way. How are we going to do it? It took us about two hours to get the vehicle unstuck without damaging it. Because that was the other thing. We don't want to have to pay to, like, fix this rental car. Yeah. We had to do so by, like, jamming a larger flat rock underneath one of the uneven tires to get it to move backwards enough. Yeah. So that was uh, quite a bit of daylight that we lost doing that. So we get back to the fork. We go left like we were supposed to the first time. Mm-hmm. It's pretty smooth from there. Like that, that dirt road just does actually go to the base camp. 
Yeah. Right. Like almost as if there shouldn't be a right fork option. Correct. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, Bureau of Land Management uses it for something. I'm not right. sure. Um, so we get to the base. We pack everything up that we had. We're all in sneakers. We've got these backpacks on. Kevin wanted to bring a giant full-size telescope. He's got this like 20 pound Coleman, like family camping tent that you use. Like you would assume you use for like backyard camping. Yeah. Not for, uh, not for mountain climbing. Like, (laughs) so we got that, we got the telescope. Kevin's like, Oh, don't worry. Like I got camping mattresses. Those were also just regular air mattresses. So we're carrying three full-size air mattresses, a telescope, um, and what else did we have? Just a a ton of stuff, a ton of unnecessary things. It sounds like a a bunch of kids from Chicago read about camping in a book and then we're trying to go for it. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, And we're in sneakers. I'm just going to keep saying that because... The first half of the hike that we start is pretty fine. Um, We're just going up, and it looks like there was a little bit of a path, but about 20 minutes in, we realize that uh, the path isn't really a path. It's just, like, where feet were Mm -hmm. a few times. And so the only way to know where we were going is by checking for these markers, uh, which is basically either caution tape tied to a branch or the... um, trail safe spray paint that washes away in uh in rain so it we're basically just following other people who have done the hike before and now we've reached about the midway point up the mountain and that whole hike was loose rock so doing the hike in vans was not so easy yeah oh that sounds rough yeah it was uh the Two hours or so of sunlight that we lost getting the car unstuck had now caught up to us and the sun was going down. So Kevin's like, don't worry, you guys, I came prepared. Let me just get these flashlights out of my bag. And so we, we like help him by holding the phone flashlight over his head while he's looking for him. And he's still looking for him and he's still looking for him. And then he says, guys, would you be mad if I didn't bring the flashlights? Because he didn't bring the flashlights. Yeah. And so we are switching off one person by one person between the three of us using our cell phone flashlights, walking about five feet forward at a time, looking for the trail markers, and then moving forward. Um, and... We, we did eventually make it up the mountain, each carrying, you know, three air mattresses, full-size air mattresses, the Coleman camping tent, the telescope. Uh, in what should have been maybe a two-hour climb up into a six-hour climb up. Oh, man. <laughs> using our phone flashlights, because we didn't have any other flashlights. Yeah. We also didn't bring enough water, so we were 
probably severely dehydrated at that point. Then the water we did have, we used a portion of that once we got the fire started to boil to make those like freeze-dried camping foods. Mm -hmm. But the best part of this is when we get to the top, there's also a weather tower up there. So you have cell phone signal, which is Mm -hmm. nice. We're able to FaceTime our like girlfriends and parents and whatever. And as we turned our phones off, the fire was going massive meteor shower, hundreds and hundreds of like just basically shooting stars for hours. We stayed up until like three o'clock in the morning, even after hiking for that long, just watching these things continue going. Um, and just let the fire burn out. So that part was absolutely incredible. Yeah, that's almost like all that that pain and, and hiking was worth it just to see that. Oh, it sure was. But then, <laughs> <laughs> when we decide to go to bed, the mountain system there is basically a series of valleys. And where the, the Tickaboo Peak is the closest mountain to this massive valley where area 51 is like in the middle of Mm -hmm. so the wind moving through the valley goes straight up the mountain and although the temperature of the air was probably about 50 degrees the wind was so cold and so fast that it felt like it was like 35 it was it was just really cold yeah we had like light fleece sleeping sleeping bags and blankets um and that was not enough the wind is blowing the tent all over the place we thought we were going to get like blown off the mountain because the wind was so strong so we deflated two of the air mattresses used them as more blankets (laughs) and spent the night on one of the air mattresses all three like spooning together trying to stay warm that's great. Each probably got about two hours of sleep. Yeah, naturally. But when we got up, we were able to utilize that telescope to look out, see Area 51. It went, Because we hadn't slept much, we were able to see uh, these Red Wing planes flying the government employees into Area 51 in the morning. Oh, wow. It was really cool. Yeah, so for cool. all of that trouble and all of that hardship... It was really freaking cool to get to see like this weird uh, debunk or not yet debunked place. Like they had not made it public knowledge that it was a a true government facility. Yeah. Like they had not uh, identified it as such. Right. So we were able to see it. When you get to the top, there was this thing. It looked like a an old Ovaltine container or like a, a protein powder jug that we opened up and had like a sign-in sheet in there. So you could see like who else had hiked it and when. Um, And that was really cool. Going down the mountain was also really difficult uh, because we're in sneakers carrying way too much weight. Uh, But by the time we got back to Las Vegas, we were all so like tired and dehydrated. You almost felt drunk. Uh, (laughs) We took a nap, then went to Benihana. Uh, and then drove to LA. Man, that's amazing. Um, yeah, it was it was a really great time. And we have gone back there every year 
but really? like gotten better at it. Yeah, I mean, um, I would hope so. <laughs> I, I mean, like way more that, prepared. Yeah, that that first round must have been rough, but it uh, it's almost like it was it was it, it's almost one of those things where you go through it and it really sucks in the moment, and you're like, man, this fucking blows. But then you get you get done and like like even a year later you look back and you're like wow that was an amazing thing that i did oh my god it was incredible we honestly can't believe we lived through it um just just because of how many mistakes we made yeah it it almost sounds like a a movie of like just following these 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 city kids trying to figure out how to do that outdoor living style oh my god yeah it was it was it was pretty movie-like in that respect. And um, yeah, obviously we learned from that. We don't forget the flashlights or water anymore. Um, Instead of a big tent and a telescope, we have binoculars and we carry these uh, like camping hammocks that are like just bigger than a Chipotle burrito. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's been way cooler being able to do it like, and now having the energy when you get up to the top to appreciate yeah. what's going on is really cool. Um, yeah, but it's it, it's it's remarkable. Yeah, even the even the getting to the top and, and seeing the meteorites is almost movie like. It's just I could just imagine that moment of standing up there and looking around, and being like, "Fuck yeah, we did it!" And then you look out and you just see just thousands of meteors coming down. Would have been just beautiful. It was unreal. Like that that is legitimately something I guarantee I I will only experience that once. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that is almost a one in a lifetime moment to to do that. Yeah. And and to this day like 9 years later even though we've been doing the trip and doing the hike for the rest of this time, we still joke about the first time like <laughs> almost constantly. Yeah. Just because it was so stupid. Yeah. Um it was just so bad that it was that it's funny now. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. And uh, now we know where the dirt roads go and like have maps printed out ahead of time, have the GPS programmed ahead of time to know what the maps look like, even when you don't have cell signal. Like you learn so much from screwing everything up that you're like, I'm just not yeah. doing that again. Yeah. Yeah. You, you. I mean, I'm glad you learned from your mistakes, but it is also... <laughs> really really cool to hear you guys go back still oh yeah i mean when you when you have even that for for all the garbage things that happened on that excursion so many great things happened that it was like we need to go back here yeah and it's it's untouched by most people because it's not like a public park or anything like that like on the dirt road we've driven alongside like wild cattle uh and stuff like that like it things that you wouldn't experience otherwise happen in just this little microcosm of Nevada that is basically Tickaboo Peak and its surrounding areas. And you just don't get to find that a lot of places in the U.S., especially when so much is, like, developed, to have that entirely undeveloped, like, basically mapped out by the people who want to hike it. Um, And... Not this past summer, but the summer prior when we went out, uh, the container that had the sign-in sheet in it was missing. 
So oh. this year we all brought one up with us uh, and tied it down so that it's not going to fall off the mountain or lose, like get lost or be stolen. Uh, so we played our little part in like keeping that tradition alive and keeping it going. Yeah, and helping somebody else out the next the next group of city kids that are trying to camp on top of a mountain. God, I hope they're not as dumb as we are. I really do. <laughs> uh, that's great, man. If you had to, uh, if you had to give somebody advice that wants to go on this trip, what advice would you give them? Um, honestly, like over prepare, and even though you think it's going to be a two hour hike in sneakers prepare for a six hour hike and boots prepare for carrying stuff lightly. Also just drink water. If you mm. think you've had enough water, you haven't just drink more like yeah. out there, especially where there's no access to it. That should be the main part of the weight that you're carrying is just water. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good advice. Uh, I'm, I honestly, I, I don't do much outdoor camping, but water would be one of the few things I would think about. Cause like it's living in a house, you're you have access to water all the time, but you don't think whenever you're out there to, to pack for stuff like that. No, absolutely not. It's, it's just something that's become such a commodity that it's second nature, that it's always there. So yeah. you have to really prepare. And so now we take like the camelbacks and then we have extra like bottles and we also have like a spare gallon that someone carries in their bag. Like yeah, there's just never a shortage of water. That's good. That's um, smart. Cause I mean, if that was me, I would be thinking, well, I'm not bare grills. I'm not going out to some remote Island. We'll have water. We'll be fine. But clearly not. I'm glad, I'm glad you gave me that advice. Yeah. Um, you can definitely make it through, but everything is harder and you will get a splitting migraine um, yeah, on the way down and all the way back to the hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, I can say from personal experience, that is not fun. It feels yeah. like your bl- brain is going to split out of your skull. Um, yeah. Well, hey, that, that was a, a really, really cool story. Thank you for uh, for sharing it. Thanks for letting me, dude. Of course, man, of course. Uh, before, you, uh, before we take off, I have a segment that I do called Asked and Answered. Um, cool. Yeah, I have 18 questions. I'm going to have you answer three of them. They're broken down uh, into three categories, easy, medium, and hard. And they're all numbered. So I roll a dice uh, and you answer the question that correlates with it. Perfect. Yeah. If there's any questions, I don't think the questions are too bad. Uh, but if there's any questions that you're like, eh, I don't really feel comfortable, don't be afraid to say so. Oh, for sure. So your first question, um, what's your favorite movie? Tommy Boy. that's pretty it goes pretty well with your story (laughs) (laughs) thank you yeah i don't know i've loved that movie since i was a little kid probably like fourth grade um i went to the same school as chris farley and he's just a person who like i admire despite his flaws as just someone who just always would want to make people happy and uh he's just a really funny person and that movie is like I, I'm pretty sure I can still quote it word for word. Hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure you can. Yeah, I, I do love that movie. It's a good movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, your next question. Uh, what is the happiest day of your life? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Well, I'll go with one of them, one of the standouts. Um, Blink-182 is my favorite band since I was probably eight years old. And when they announced they were getting back together in 2009 uh, and doing a tour that summer, it was the summer after my freshman year of college, uh, my friend Ryan got us tickets to go see them in the pit in Milwaukee. So I went up there and I was like, ah, this is stupid, but I'm going to make a, a poster and just says like, sign my body, assholes. And Tom got, uh, it got the attention of Tom DeLong. And they pulled me up on stage and they all signed my body, like where I have that Blink-182 tattoo, my first tattoo. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the coolest days of my entire life. That's amazing. Man, you got the cool stories. Uh, <laughs> your, uh, <laughs> your, uh, your next question, the hard question. Uh, okay. What is your biggest strength and your big biggest weakness? Okay. Uh, well, biggest strength, I think that one's pretty easy. Um, for me, I just believe that uh, I have a really easy time finding common ground with just about anybody. So yeah, Very charismatic. Making friends, having conversations, like unless a person is super racist or sexist, mm -hmm. uh, like there's a pretty good chance that we're going to get along and we'll find something to talk about. Um, so that's pretty cool. Biggest weakness. That one's hard for me. Uh, I, I think that because I like to do so much, I get really invested in things for a short amount of time, but never enough to become like an expert at anything. Yeah, I got you. Like a jack of all trades. Yeah. yeah. Uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, master of uh, none. So I, I think that's like good in some ways but i've never been like I, I mean i guess besides figure skating because that's what i spent the better portion of the early years of my life doing i've never been like that dedicated to anything else ever because i'm just so interested in everything yeah you you would just say like you have a not a short attention span it's just more oh i a, have that too <laughs> just more of you're you're almost too interested and you have a hard time focusing i suppose right like a good example would be like i've always wanted to build furniture but the guys who build like really beautiful like tables and things out of like cool stuff out of wood the guys who do that have spent years and years doing it mm -hmm. probably since they were like 15 or 16 in wood shop in high school. Right. And like, I'm really interested in actually doing it. But when I sat down to apply myself, I'm pretty sure like I'd just be cutting right angles and nailing boards together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love to see the table you build though. <laughs> it, it would, it would be something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's it is like, I wish I could just be brilliant at like a couple things. But instead, yeah. I'm just really interested in everything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was it was really cool uh, to hear your story, and it was really uh, it was really interesting. Yeah, thank you, man. It was really fun to tell, and like, I was I was thinking about like things that you and I haven't talked about before, and I was like, I'm pretty sure this one hasn't yeah. ever been brought up. Hey, you've never told me about this, so it was really great to hear for the first time on here. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited to tell it. Uh, that's it's just one of my favorite things that I did slash happened to me because it, it's kind of a combination of the both. Yeah, it's a combination of the two. Well, uh, is there anything you want to like plug or promote? Uh, just everybody should be kind to each other, uh, and I think that's that's really it. Just be kind. Yeah, yeah that's that's a good a good plug. Is find humanity in all of us. Correct. Um, yeah, because that's it's kind of what I'm trying to hope to do with this podcast is just show everybody that like there is even in a world full of turmoil, there is still common ground. We are all still people, and we all have stories to tell. And everybody is interesting, uh, and everybody has something interesting. Even if you're somebody who has worked the same job since they were 18 years old, punching keys into a computer at some office job, you had to have some had something interesting happen to you in your lifetime that you want to talk to people about. Uh, so if there's anybody out there who does want to hear uh, or does want to talk about it, you can come. I'd, I'd love to have you on the show. Uh, I'm hoping to have anybody who wants to be on the show on. Uh, I'm I'm opening it up. No holds bar. I mean, don't you can't come on and, and spew hate speech. I won't allow that. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that. It's a safe place for for everybody. Um, but I'm hoping that if we can get enough people uh listening and enough people wanting to be on the show, I can actually start doing this twice a week. Um, Cause you know, 20, 30 minute stories every week is, is really cool. But you know, I'm, if I can get a mass volume of people wanting to tell their stories, then my hands will be tied and I'll have to do it two times a week, which is good. Yeah. That's what we really want. That's so what we you, want. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, if you're uh, out there and you want to be on the show, uh, actually set up an Instagram for it. It's called everybody.is.a.somebody. Um, it's very long, but it was the only thing that I could get. Um, so if you, <laughs> if you could reach out on there and uh, just just say that you want to be on, I, I'd be happy to hear you out and happy to have you on. Um, so again, thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on. Thank you, man. Thank you for doing doing this podcast too. Like This is pretty admirable and uh, just a really cool idea. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. But uh, until next week, uh, I'll see you guys later. Adios. Adios.